So we begin a study of the book of 1 Peter. Hope prevails. I think you're going to really enjoy this in terms of how it's going to impact and intersect your personal spiritual journey. And we start with a one of the most powerful, dynamic, loaded statements in all of 1 Peter. We're just going to start and just dive in and just here it is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that may seem underwhelming to you until you understand what is represented by that statement. And, and I want to give us a little bit of background, take up three or four minutes, give some background, and then we're going to dive in and we're going to look at how this statement, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is a declaration of hope that prevails. And first of all, we've got a couple of definitions we have, to, we have to look at. One is the way we think about Peter is a little bit problematic. And I have to own this myself. I'm driving down the road. I'm kind of working on this series a week or so ago. And I'm driving down the road, and there's a big truck in front of me. And the traffic comes to two-lane road, and, and this squirrel darts out. And he gets almost to the truck, and he's like, uh-oh, this is not good, right? So he turns and runs the other way. Well, just as he's running the other way, a car passes by. Well, that's not really good. So it's just like this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When I saw that squirrel, I thought, that's exactly the way I think of Peter. I want to walk on the water. Tell me, command me, I'll walk on the water. Uh-oh, sink. I would never fail you. I will, whatever, I'm with you. Uh-oh, denial. You know the stories. I mean, time after ten, Jesus said, we're not going to fight. Don't take a sword. What does Peter do? He brings an illegal sword, starts whacking on a Roman. Soldier. He feels like that back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And, and honestly, that's the way I think of him as kind of impetuous, Almost annoying, the kind of guy at the parties is always kind of getting all the attention. But that's not who he is. I mean, that is a part of who he is, honestly. But there is if, if, one thing, walk away with one thing this morning. Peter loved Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, Peter loved Jesus. I'm saying Peter loved Jesus. Whatever you may think of him, know that to be true. And Peter had a tremendous transfer of hope in his life, from hope in himself to hope of a resurrected Savior, the one he loved. And we have to think about hope for a moment, too, because hope is used in so many different ways. We, we say, you know, we're headed to the beach in a week as a family. Let's say your family's going to make it. Mine's not. Can I go with you? Anyway, so you're headed to the beach in a week with your family. Say, I hope it's good weather. There's no confidence to that, but you hope it is. Or maybe something really significant. Because when I read these stories of families trapped in vehicles with a tornado coming towards them on I-40, and they get out with softball-sized hail trying to find, and they're hoping to find shelter. That's a desperate, longing, deep hope. But there's no assurance you're going to be okay. And the kind of hope that we're talking about and hope prevails is what we just sang about. It's an assurance. It's a confidence. It's a trust without borders. And this is the hope that First Peter brings to a group of people who are really suffering. You see, let's imagine just for a moment, let's take hope just one more step. Let's imagine just for a moment that you're, um, you're, you're being chased through a forest and you've got to get from this side to this side and there's a body of water in between. So whatever it takes for you to have that imagination, there's wolves running after you or Sasquatch, I don't know, whatever, anybody. So you're trying, you've got to get from here to here and once you cross the water, you're safe. You can just know that. Just imagine that with me. 
So you're running, running, running. You've never been here before, but you've been told if you can just get across the water and you come up and there's the water right there. You are filled with hope. That's just like, that's not even a jump. That's a hop step. Confidence, hope, safety, arrival. Now let's imagine that you're in the same scenario and you come up to this. And it's cold and it's deep. And just for Hollywood effect, we'll add a waterfall right there, all right? Hopeless. You see, for the people Peter is writing to, this is how life was beginning to feel. They were being pressed upon from within their families, their community, and persecution was increasing. And you're a very, very short time away, more like months than years. Just You're so close to when Nero will take over and he will begin the persecution of Christians that will last over two centuries, all the way to Diocletian, who is the Roman emperor who made it his life purpose to try to completely eradicate Christians. And Peter knows... Peter knows what's next. Jesus told him how he was going to die. This is the context within which this hope is written. Now, let me take a couple more minutes and say a couple more things about Peter and so that we get that whole picture of him. And if you have time this summer, you're sitting at the beach, you're sitting by the, the pool, you're doing whatever, uh, you're taking some vacation, this would be a great book to read as we're reading this, uh, studying First Peter. Peter, A Fragile Stone by Michael Card. Put that on your Kindle and read that. It's really well done. And I'll refer to it a couple times here. But after I read this book in preparation for the series, it occurred to me that Peter is a friend, a deep friend of Jesus and of James and John. He's a family man. We don't know much about the disciples' lives, personal lives, but we know Peter had a wife. His mother-in-law lived with him. He's a laborer. He's a fisherman. He's got calluses and scrapes, and he smells like fish all the time. He's working hard, and it's dangerous, exhausting work. He's a leader. We'll see that more in just a moment. He's a teacher. He's the voice of the gospel as it breaks out in the, in the Pentecost, the book of Acts. He's a revolutionary. Sometimes he's reluctant about this, but he's led by the Spirit to places he doesn't want to go, and as a result, he becomes the voice of a revolutionary way of understanding Faith in God. He's a disciple maker. We know that the, the gospel of Mark is deeply influenced by Peter and his relationship with Mark. And he's a martyr. And, and multiple sources tell us that he was martyred immediately after watching his wife be martyred. And the, the historical uh, accounts tell us that as she was going to be martyred, he encouraged her and rejoiced because she was going to get to see Jesus first. This is who Peter is. He grew up in the Sea of Galilee, and, and work, we know he worked in, in, in Galilee on the sea here up in Capernaum, the northwest corner. This is the Sea of Galilee. You'll see desert everywhere around except where there's water from the sea. Thirteen miles long, eight miles wide. And this is Capernaum along this beach right here. And this is said to be from the second century, actually, to be the exact location of, Jesus, of Peter's home. And the early church we know for sure met there throughout the sixth, second century. This is the man. And here's the beauty of this, and, and I don't have the time to do it full justice. So my encouragement to you, it's raining. What else are you going to do? The Lady Vols don't play softball to seven. You know, we got whatever. You're, you got time for this, all right? Read First Peter today after this sermon. 
Because once you know the man, the letter is a lot richer and deeper. And once you read the letter and know the man, you start to understand this is a this is a spiritual journey that took decades for him to be able to write these words through the Spirit with such confidence. This isn't it's not like a, a theological essay or some something that he wrote just out of his mind, out of hey, I'd like to encourage people. This comes out of years of living this with Jesus. Four things I want us to look at with Peter, and the first is what I call the look. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter one, verse forty two. John one forty two. It's going to take four just kind of looking into Peter's life with Jesus and how what happens, what's written in 1 Peter comes out of that life. John chapter 1, verse 42. He brought, this is Andrew, brought Peter to Je- Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. Later he'll call him the son of John. It's the same. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, the word looked is not like he just saw him or he just kind of sized him up, said, oh, there's a fisherman. The word looked is a Greek word. It's emblepo, and it means to look searchingly or significantly at a person. You ever heard the phrase where someone say, it's like he looked right through me, like saw everything, just saw inside of who I am. This is what the word is. Jesus looked intently into the soul and the heart of Simon. He says, you are Simon, but you're going to be Cephas, the rock. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good day. When Jesus looks deep into your soul and says, you're here, but I'm going to take you here. I hope somewhere in your journey... You've experienced that. If you've not, I would pray for that. Lord, give me the experience. Help me know what it's like, what you see in me of who I can become. Because I promise you, Jesus has more in store for you than what you can imagine for yourself. And he says, you will be the rock. And this is not a common term. or con- this is Actually, there's no other place before the second century that you find this kind of reference to Cephas, the name Cephas, which means Peter. So if you're Peter... Your hope has risen here. You're just a fisherman standing there, bloody, sweaty, smelly, and Jesus, the rabbi, and you see him looking right through you, you know something's going on. He says, you're going to be a rock. And your hope rises in who you can become. But as high as that high gets, there's another look that speaks into a very low place in Peter's life. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And again, we're just taking just snippets, just moments of Peter's life to understand his relationship with Jesus and hope. Luke 22, verse 31. This is at what we call the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that which we'll celebrate and remember here in a few moments together around the communion tables. Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This like completely blindsides Peter. This is like, what? What? Satan has sought to, he's demanded you. He wants you. He wants to get you. He wants to devour you. He wants to take you. When Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 that your enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking to devour you, this is not theory. 
This is life experience. He knows what it's like to have the hot pursuit of an enemy to destroy him. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you. You don't forget that Jesus prayed for his disciples. That's how significant prayer is. That your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, in other words, you will make it through this, you'll be strengthening your brothers. Well, Peter, the rock, says, are you kidding me? Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I paraphrase this. Jesus, I have absolute confidence and hope in my commitment to you. I'm t- you do not have to worry about me. You can complete put your hope and trust in me. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And you know Peter just like, no. Peter is the only disciple, by the way, who argues with and can- corrects and says no to Jesus. Talk about the squirrel running in front of the truck, right? I mean, this... He, he has hope... Jesus said he was going to be a rock. He believed it. He's got hope in it. In verse 59, we find the third denial of Jesus by Peter. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also is with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. In that moment, he knew what he had done, and only Luke tells us what happened next. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Somewhere their paths crossed, they were in the same vicinity. Somewhere at that moment, Jesus and Peter's eyes met, and it's the same word. He searched him and looked at him significantly. He saw through his soul in that moment. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The glance of Jesus into the soul of failure and sin and shame. Peter was so ashamed of what he had done. Now, if you have a very rigid, legalistic, religious view of Jesus, you're thinking, well, no wonder. I bet Jesus looked at him like he could kill him. Like, golly, who are you? You promised you didn't do it. What kind of a rock are you? I had a student one time who explained to me, he said, he said, my dad never criticized me. He just looked at me with those eyes that made me feel like I was lower than nothing. That's how some people perceive God and Jesus, as that looking down on you would just intensifying your shame. But that's not Jesus. That's not the look. I assure you that the look was compassion and grace and sorrow and love and hope. I got this, Peter. I got this. Do you ever know that? Do you ever feel that? Do you ever see that? Do you ever have that happen where you're just, you are clearly guilty. And you know it. And he knows it. And I promise you, 
if you are perceiving him accurately, it is a look of compassion and grace. And I got this. I got this. The last thing you need to do in your guilt is to hide yourself from his look. Because it's, it's hope. It's life. And not only that, there's a, an intimate moment in Scripture that we are not given privy to that will tell you, will remind us even more of what the Savior is like, who He is. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears um, to these two disciples. It's only told in the book of Luke. These two guys, they're not like the original 11 guys, but He appears to these two guys who are walking down the road, and He starts talking to them. And afterwards, they get up and go to Jerusalem. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read this to you. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. It's hinted at in Mark. It's made explicit in Luke that there was a private meeting between Jesus and Simon to restore, to love, to call out. Because Jesus knew Peter loved him. He loved him. Even the angels got it. In Mark 16, the angel says, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he did told you. Make sure Peter knows. Don't leave Peter out. Peter needs to know this. Because you see, when you, when you transfer hope, okay, so you begin with, Peter, do you have hope in oh, who you can be as a Christian? Like you have hope in who you can be and what you can do and what you have to offer and, and how you're going to be making it. And inevitably, life circumstances in your own flesh get in the way and you fail. And you lose hope in yourself. But if there's a resurrected Savior who loves you, you have a hope that prevails even through this, even through your own weakness and failure, even through your own shame and guilt, even through all of your circumstances. You have a Savior who prevails. And Peter knew that. And so when he's writing First Peter and he starts talking about hope, he's talking about the real confident hope in a resurrected Savior who can look at you at your worst possible moment and say, I got this. I got this because I love you. Then all of us, some days, somewhere around this time, around your journey, somewhere in the next few weeks, days, months, I hope you have the privilege of weeping over your sin with a compassionate Savior because it's powerful and it transfers your hope to where it ought to be. Second thing we'll look at is Peter as the leader. Peter is always mentioned first. Mark, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, Acts. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and where they were staying, Peter and James. Always Peter is mentioned first. He's always in the role of the leader. And this, again, will have a place of great high and great hope, followed by tremendous failure and hopelessness and a transfer of hope. So turn in Matthew, to Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16, another familiar verse. And you'll find that many of the gospel stories are about Peter or Peter talking to Jesus or someone talking to Peter. Matthew 16, verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And he's speaking to all the disciples. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And you can, I mean, it's bold, it's succinct, it's to the point, and, it, and Peter knows it's right. Like, you ever been in class and you get, like, the right answer? Like, you know, you're like, yeah. But you wouldn't have thought of that. I got it. Right? And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, which is also son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow. If you're the leader and you're being told by Jesus that what you just said and who you are, I'm going to use that to build the church. And you'll find this language in 1 Peter because what's interesting about Peter is he will refer to all Christians as living stones being built into the temple of God. He will speak to them as a chosen race. He will... Peter will, will bring to the, the, uh, the people he's writing to in First Peter, he will bring to these persecuted people hope in who God's made them to be. And he's experienced this at a high level right now. And within a few verses, it all changes. Because Jesus starts to talk about how he's going to die, how he's going to have to suffer, and what's going to happen to him. And Peter is like, he would never let that happen to Jesus. And because he's always saying no and correcting Jesus, he decides to correct Jesus. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I'm not going to let this happen. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus spoke to the voice whispering in Peter's ear a lie. But it's hard to go from, hey, I got the right answer to, get thee behind me, Satan, right? See, it's like Peter would get this, he would get part of it, and then... He would kind of get it right, and then he would start putting his hope in himself, and then Jesus would expose him for the fact that his hope's not in him and what he can do. His hope has to be in what God reveals and does. He doesn't get to write the script. Any of you ever have that experience of, like, thinking you're like, okay, now, come on, be honest. Like, I'm a pretty good Christian. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, that person, like I'm not like that big name. I'm not bad at this. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm a decent. I'm like. I'm not doing any bad things. I'm pretty good church guy, gal. I mean, you ever have that? You're just rolling right along about just. I think I'm getting this right, and then boom, you get exposed for who you really are. I can raise both hands, right? I mean. Just when I think it's kind of moving along and I kind of like got this and I'm kind of a pretty good husband, pretty good leader, pretty good. I mean, it's like I'm kind of moving along and I'm looking at Jesus and say, yeah, I got it, got, I got, got, got it. Comes this experience of like, where's your hope? Is your hope in how good a Christian you can be? How good of a dad you can be? How good of a leader? I mean, is it, that's your hope? Because that's not much to hope in. That's really flawed. Let me show you hope. So again, when Peter writes about hope, he's not just talking about the hard circumstances. He's talking about the, the inadequacy of hoping in our religion or what we can do or what we can accomplish or what we can achieve or what we can protect or the script that we can write. 
and move your hope from there to him. So we looked at the look, that glimpse of Jesus. We looked at Peter as the leader. Now let's look at one more, the, the loyal friend. And Peter said to Jesus, well, let me set the context for this because this may not make sense, particularly if you've not been in church as much. Um, get that where I want it. There we go. Um, there's a story in the, in the New Testament about, in the Gospels about uh, what's called the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you haven't been in Sunday school or church, you may ask, like, what's that? Simple way of saying it is, Jesus is in an earthly body. He's a human being, but he also has the full divinity, identity of being God in relationship to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there's this moment when he's with Peter, James, and John, um, who are, Peter's more the leader, and the three of them are kind of the leading group of the disciples. He's with them, and Moses and Elijah appear, and with Jesus in form that you would see them like in heaven, in a, in a glorified body, in a body that's like more than earth. You recognize them, you see them, it's a body, but it's not this body. It's like, like it's, it's just awe-inspiring, glorious, what you would kind of imagine of, of a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. And so... Mark 9, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, there's all kinds of things in here. The humor in this is, says, for he did not know what to say. Which most people, when they don't know what to say, they don't say anything, right? But Peter going to say something. Always going to say something. Right or wrong, he's going to say something. So he says, we, they didn't know what to say. They were scared out of their minds. So Peter, being the leader, is like, uh, let's, make, let's just all be here together. And the word is tabernacle. Let's, the idea is, this is really Like, it's not going to get better than this. Let's just all stay here and, and be together. Jesus, Peter lo- loves to be with Jesus. It really is. A good day for Peter is to spend half the day with Jesus. The best day would be to spend the whole day with Jesus. That's just who he is. I'm really convicted by that. I don't have that in me. I like to do things for Jesus more than to be with. That's one of my major flaws. I'm a doer, not a with, be with person. Peter really understands withness in a way that's very convicting to me, very challenging to me. He is such a loyal friend. And in, in a moment when he doesn't know what to say and he's scared out of his mind, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, let's just be here together. Let's just be here together. Which you can imagine what happens when the cross occurs in Peter's life. After he's denied Jesus, Michael Card in this book, A Fragile Stone, which I referred to earlier, says you and I will never fully understand that moment until we feel the depth of the disappointment in Peter's heart and soul as he stood before that cross. At that moment, nothing seemed more certain then it had all been a lie. It, there is nothing more devastating than being in relationship with someone and finding out it's a lie. And that's a crusher. And at this moment, Peter believed he knew who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. And he just wanted to be with Jesus. And now not only was he not going to be with Jesus... This whole thing, it, it made no sense to him. He is absolutely devastated by how this has turned out. This has nothing to do with the script he was writing. But once he sees a resurrected Jesus, everything changes. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is where uh, 
Jesus has already appeared. He's seen Jesus, but Jesus is kind of coming and going. He's not with them all the time, and I'm sure Peter's missing him. And at one point, Jesus is on the shore, and they're out fishing, and this is what happened. He, he yelled for them to, to put their nets out and come and catch fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Don't you love that line? He threw him. It's not like he didn't dive. He, did, he just like, whoa! Big splash and go and just frantically swam while the other guys brought the boat in. Just wanting to be with Jesus. And it's the resurrected Jesus that gives him that hope of being with him. And you'll see how deep the hope is because of the conversation they're about to have. Because Jesus said, do you love me more than these Michael Card suggests that Peter was sitting there thinking about how much he loved Jesus. He's just so glad to be with him. And he's saying, Do you love me? And Jesus said, Do you love me more than these? And then the third time, he said to Simon for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. You're going to read First Peter, and Peter's going to talk about having a fervent love. He's going to talk about a real love for each other and for Jesus. He's going to refer to Jesus as the chief shepherd. He's going to challenge the elders to shepherd their flock. Where does this come from? It comes from this moment here of Peter loving me and being with me as being about what I'm about. And what I'm about is caring for these people. That's what you're going to do. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That is a direct reference to being crucified. That's the idiom of the day, stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And when Peter talks about humility... And he'll talk about in First Peter how Jesus, even when he was when he was being, you know, just abused mercilessly, how he didn't fight back, how humble he was. And when Peter talks about humility, it comes from having learned there is only one hope that prevails. That's Jesus. And after this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. Follow me. And that was the command. Follow me, the resurrected Jesus. And that's what Peter will do. And that is what he will write in First Peter. And after he introduces himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, where did that come from? Why is he not Simon? Because Jesus called him out to be Peter. Why is he an apostle? Because Jesus created him to be an apostle. Because Jesus called him. Because Jesus empowered him. And so in 1 Peter 1, 3, he'll write, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, written by a man who knows he's just months from being crucified, writing to a people who are being persecuted. Don't put your hope anywhere but in him. The legacy of Peter is, is, is more profound than I really imagined. I, I always thought of Peter as 
serving the Jews, a tremendous teacher at Pentecost, helping in the book of Acts 15 where they're trying to figure out what to do with the church, and he was a voice for that. But I always think of Paul as kind of the dominant New Testament person. I mean, most of us do because he wrote so many letters. And he becomes the, the real apostle to the Gentiles in terms of all that gets fleshed out. But the legacy of Peter is astounding. First of all, he is the voice of the gospel as it enters into the world in the book of Acts. He is the voice at Pentecost. He is the leader of the disciples into the world. He is the, the one who in Acts chapter 10 gets a vision from God uh, that he is to offer the gospel to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews, who's revolutionized in his thinking and changes everything. He's the one who will invest in Mark and through him, with him will write the gospel of Mark. You have this legacy. But I, I don't think I ever caught it till I read this in Acts 15 again in light of all this. Here's what Peter says. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but he took the baton from the lead runner who was Peter. The gospel goes into the world through Peter. The living stones that we are are a part of the church being built by that rock, Peter. How can you call a man a rock who denied him three times, who says, argues with his Savior, who is told, get behind me? How can you call him a rock? Because it's what Jesus did in his life, not what he did. And he made no distinction between them and us, us and them, Peter says, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we would have been able to bear? Do you know what Peter is saying? And he'll say it, you'll, you'll, you'll see it in First Peter. He's saying, why would you say to people that it's up to them to be the hope of their salvation? That doesn't work. That's hopeless. The only hope is Jesus. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is no way across, through, around. There is no hope in you. There is no hope in this life. This does not go well for you. And if, it's, if all there is is you, it will not be enough. But in Jesus, the resurrected Savior, we have been transferred from a hope of what we can do to a living Savior who takes us with him to resurrection. And in the end, as it did for Peter, as it did for the people Peter wrote the book of First Peter to, in the end, if you follow him, hope prevails. Every time. Every time. Because he prevails.